And I know it's still several months out from Easter, but doesn't that just take you to the triumphal entry when the crowds are sitting there yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying, praise God, praise God, praise the Lord, the psalmist says, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How great is our Lord, his power is absolute. Sing out your thanks to the Lord. We're going to do that this morning throughout But first, uh, a little word from me. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. This whole recalibrate thing, which uh, while I'm thinking about it, in the light and life issue, uh, it is out there on the table in the back. This is fantastic. It's an explanation of what the denomination is hoping for in terms of the recalibrate process. Now, this process is going to be a real push for me. It's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for me, and I, and I would guess it's going to be a challenge for us as well. This past week, I was reading in Mark chapter 11. Uh, I've been enjoying the gospel of Mark this past week for a couple of reasons. Um, the Whitworth Academy group that I'm part of with six other people here, they are reading in Mark. And I've also been reading a Timothy Keller book titled Christ the King. And he looks at the life and death of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. So I've been reading in in the Gospel of Mark, and on Wednesday morning, I was in Mark chapter 11. And I said, God, what is it it you want to teach me this morning? The purpose of that time was not sermon prep. It was uh, soul care. It was time where I was, uh, you know, the the personal devotions is is what you'll always hear us talking about. God, what is it you you want me to hear this morning? Well, I came to the passage in Mark 11, right after the triumphal entry, a passage that has traditionally rubbed me wrong, the cursing of the fig tree. Mark chapter 11, verse 12, 13, and 14. The next morning, as they, Jesus and his disciples, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if it had any figs on it. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. It's always rubbed me wrong. There's a great explanation as to why Jesus would do that in the book that I mentioned, Timothy Keller's book. In brief, even if there weren't figs on the tree, there should have been something to eat. Okay? You can read the book, it'll tell you more about it. My rub with that passage has always been, Jesus, why would you do that? What did this tree ever do to you? It's not even fig season. I've read this passage countless times, and those are the questions that always arise. So Wednesday morning, as I started to read that, as those questions started to form on my tongue again, God quickly put a halt to those questions. It says, I want to ask you a question, James. Are you the fig tree? Are you the fig tree? I'm going to let you guys in on the conversation that I had with God on Wednesday morning for the next 10 to 15 minutes. I, again, I did not go into Wednesday morning thinking this is going to be a sermon. But this is weighed heavy on my heart. James, he says, do you give off the picture of fruitfulness? Do you portray being in season, and yet, do you have fruit to give? From afar, do you look like you're doing, saying, thinking, acting the things that would 
produce fruit, but in reality, are you? Are you the fig tree, James? Now, I told you in announcements that uh, God hit me over the head a few times with the soul care thing down in Tampa. Hit me uh, very specifically with some issues of priority. God first versus other things first. Apparently, God still wanted to do more hitting or poking or prodding or whatever Christian verbiage you want to use for he's working on me. Okay? So God, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to share this conversation I had. After God said that to me, James, are you the fig tree? My response would, would be expected. Uh, uh, mm, hmm. Uh, can I ask you a question, Lord? What would it look like for me to be fruit producing? What would it look like for me to be a fruit producing disciple? Keep reading, he said. Verse 15. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple. And he began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The Scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, verse 19, Jesus and his disciples left the city. And the next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day, and he exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. There's the fig tree again. And of course, my thought was, Lord, please, don't tell me I'm the fig tree that's withering. Verse 22, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Lord, my question on Wednesday morning would be, what would make it evident that I'm a fruit-producing disciple? You know, sometimes you ask a question like that, and the response you get is silence. Other times he answers clearly, and this was one of those times. He said, James, there's several things in the passage you need to see. Fruitfulness. He said, first off, fruitfulness requires Forgiveness. Fruitfulness requires forgiveness. Verse 25, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. James, you must forgive. So the questions had to be asked. Are there people I'm holding a grudge against? Are there things I haven't let go of? Are there times where there's situations where my heart starts to beat faster than normal and I know it's beating faster than normal because there's garbage in here that needs to be taken out? There's things that need to be forgiven. 
You know, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, if you forgive the sins of those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's pretty cut and dry. Want to be a fruit-producing disciple, James? You must forgive. That's part of it. Fair enough, Lord. Fair enough. I'll, let's examine my heart. Let's see if there's places that that needs to happen. What else? What else would be evidence of fruit producing in my life? Well, his answer, have a powerful, consistent, effective, faith-filled prayer life. An effective, consistent, faith-filled prayer life. We're in verse 22. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, be lifted up, be thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. So the conversation Wednesday was, James, what's your prayer life like? Is it vibrant? Are you seeing evidence of answered prayers? Are there mountains moving because you're on your face before the throne room in heaven? I don't always have it figured out. In fact, I would tell you I rarely have it figured out. My faith level often reverts back to the level of the father two chapters back in Mark chapter 9. I think we know the story. The, the, the father had a son who was possessed by a, an evil spirit, and he brought him to Jesus to be healed. And, and Jesus asked, how long has this been happening? And the father replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Well, what do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That is so often my prayer. God, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Am I a fruit-producing disciple of Jesus? That's the question I'm wrestling with God with on Wednesday morning. And in that time, God is forcing me to take a hard look at my levels of faith and my fervency of prayer. So what else, Lord? Because as I look at those two things so far, um, forgiveness and faith-filled prayer, those are things that are internal, things that maybe I could hide, things that I could fake if they're not going well. And even if they are going really, really well, maybe they just only affect me and God. They don't really affect others. So what else? Is there things external as well? And of course, God's answer is, yep. Yep. There's things external as well. He says, James, are you fighting for people? Are you fighting for the people who may not normally feel welcomed in here? Are you fighting for the people who wouldn't normally come inside the walls of a church. And how are you doing that? Now, normally my response would be, God, my gift isn't evangelism, but he stopped that really quick. James, I know you think your gift isn't evangelism, but what have I called you to do? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. What God was showing me in this passage is he wants me to fight for them. In our passage, we see Jesus 
clear the temple, cleanse the temple, right? Most people, myself included, just read the frustration from the religious leaders as frustration against Jesus because he's turning tables. He's causing a scene. He's, up, he's, uh, he's uprooting the normal flow of church activities. Most people, myself included, see Jesus' response, his emphasis on, it, on, the, on the house being a house of prayer. But Wednesday morning, God said, there's more. Let me show you. There's more. Verse 17. Jesus said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. What I saw Jesus doing here in emphasizing the all nations, I see him not so gently reminding the church folk, the religious leaders, that engaging with God, interacting with God, having a physical place where one could meet with God, God is reminding those church people who know their rituals, their routines, their expectations, that the people outside, because this all took place in the court of Gentiles in the temple, the people outside the Jewish faith that may not know the rituals, that may not know the routine, that may not know the expectations, they belong in here too. So are you fighting for them? By um, making a scene, cleansing, clearing the temple, Jesus is saying, I'm willing to fight for them to be in here. And God was asking me, are you? Are you willing to fight for those outside, those that don't know me, those that may not be comfortable, welcomed, or accepted here? The question Wednesday morning was, am, am I a fig tree? Do I present fruitfulness but lack fruit? Is there an easy, comfortable, lazy way of being a Christian in me that needs to be cursed and die so that genuine fruit will happen? So that when people come seeking an encounter with God, they will receive genuine fruit. This was the hard conversation I had with God Wednesday morning. And it was a conversation I had to have. It's a conversation that I wonder if we need to have as a church. I know those questions were between God and I on Wednesday, but are those a dialogue, are those questions that we need to ask ourselves? Do we portray life and vibrancy? But is there a lack of stuff there? I'm just asking questions. Okay? We've got cars in the parking lot on Sunday mornings, half of Sunday nights a month. We've got stuff going on in this building on Mondays, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, on Fridays. There's a lot of people coming in and out, out of our doors with their church clothes on, smiling, saying, I'm good when they're asked how they are. But if someone were really hungry, to have an encounter with the living God, would they get that by coming to us? Take no offense at my questions. Unless, of course, you need to take offense at them. And then before you write me a letter, before you call me, before you start talking to other people about your offense, I want you to check your heart and see if that offense is because God is asking you the same questions he asked me. When people come here, when they interact with us, do they see a people with an effective, fervent prayer life? 
Would they see a people whose prayers are being answered? Would they see Jesus doing miracles? Would they see a people who believe we serve a God who can do anything? Would they see a people who forgive quickly, who don't hold grudges? If there were people hungry for an encounter with God, would they see the people who call themselves First Free Methodist Church, would they see a people who are fighting for them to have that experience with God? For the all nations to have that experience with God. Maybe we're wondering, who are those all nations? You can watch the news. You can ask yourself that question. But I wonder if there's more. I wonder if the all nations for First Church might be Jane and CJ, who are a same-sex couple who are by law in Washington State legally married. They grew up in and around the church, but they no longer subscribe to it. Are they our all nations? Could the all nations be Mary, a senior lady who has been there, done that, tried it, and saw no difference from the people in the church and those outside of the church? Could that be our all nations? Could our all nations be Sam and Jessica and their two daughters, a couple of young, a young millennial couple who say, we've got no need for organized religion. They spend a lot of time in our parking lot playing Pokemon Go. Could the all nations, our all nations, be Chin, who is a lady who lost her husband several years back who lives with her two bulldogs, and yet her sons, two of them, very, very devoutly keep an eye on her and who she's interacting with to make sure that nobody tries to change mom's beliefs and rituals from the country that she came from. You see, I think these, I think these are our all nations. You want to know why I think that? Because all four of those examples live less than a block from this church. Less than a block. Are we willing to fight for them to be able to have an encounter with the living God? How will this church grow? I take that back. How will God's kingdom grow unless we are willing to turn over some tables? In Mark chapter 11, Jesus was not pleased with a fig tree that had the outward appearance of fruit, nourishment, and life. But in reality, it didn't have any of those things. I don't want to be that fig tree. And I don't want us to be that fig tree. So are we willing to let God poke and prod us? Are we willing to do the work he would ask us to do in order that we won't be like the fig tree? I had to ask myself that question Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The conclusion I came to, I'm willing. My question is, are you? Are we? Might be part of our recalibrate process. If it is, we need to be on our knees before a living God saying, what is it you would have us do? Let's pray. God, on a morning where we are focused on praising you, a morning where we are focused on saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, we, wow, we just take this time to say, wow. God, I thank you for uh, not so gently poking and prodding and 
doing whatever it took to get my attention, both this past Wednesday and while down in Florida. And I pray, Father, that you would help me lead well this body of believers. I pray you would give us wisdom and discernment as to what it means for us to be a people that forgives, to be a people that is filled with faith, and to be a people that fights for opportunities for those that don't know you to have a chance to interact and engage with you. God, what does that look like for us? I pray that you would help us. You would help us discern, that you would give us wisdom, and that you would give us the courage we need to take those steps. It can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit working in each of us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.